Welcome to Fencing Stories with me, Nicholas Partridge. And me, Jason Brody, for our monthly roundup of all things fencing. So, Jason, what have you been up to? Well, Nick, I've recently been speaking to Baudip, who is an international wheelchair fencing coach. Um, we're going to talk more about him later. I've been getting back to training recently, which has been great fun. I've had a small break and it's been really nice to get back on the piste and Good. start working out. You've been having a bit of trouble with your hamstring injuries, right? Yeah, I, I had a bit of a groin issue and then I kind of went back to running and my hamstring went pretty quickly. Um, I have had a couple of sessions of fencing since, but nothing too serious. I'm going to make sure that this is right before I then properly return, but still uh, practicing with things like balancing on top of a Swiss ball and you know trying to get my hand in the right position still. So I'm still thinking about fencing pretty much all the time. I don't think it ever leaves you, does it? Hopefully not. Hopefully not. What's, um, what have we got coming up? Are there any competitions that you've noticed? There's a few. Obviously, we're coming up to the August break, but there's a few competitions in the pipeline that I think are worth checking out. There's the Leon Paul Summer Epe Open, which is on the 12th of August. We've also got the Shropshire Open, which is a really nice open competition, all six weapons, which is on the 16th of September on both days. It's £30 for an entry or £50 for two weapons. So if you're a multi-weapon fencer, then that's a really good shout. Also coming up in September, we've got the Northampton County Championships, which is my club, so I'm going to give that a push. That's on the 2nd and 3rd of September. And that's open pretty much to anybody? Well, it's for people from neighbouring counties of Northampton, which, yeah, that's pretty much anybody, I think. I'm sure we can find a way. If your grandmother has ever looked at Northampton on a map, then give us a, an email and we'll get you in. Grandmother or any recent relatives? Yeah, even if they're deceased. And that is £12 a entry. That's £12 an entry? I think so. I'll double check that. But yeah, I think that's £12 an entry. So it's a really great competition. We've got a great venue that's easy to get hold of and full boxes for scoring. That's at the same place that they have the Elite Epe at Moulton, isn't it? It is. So if it's good enough for the Elite Epe, it's got to be good enough for everybody else. All six weapons. I've also seen the St Albans Sabre Super Leagues coming up, which will be quite exciting. Well, it sounds incredibly exciting. What is a Super League? That's what I want to know. Rugby League, I think, lad. So, <laughs> so I've been so I've been learning when I've been up in Sheffield recently. Um, also, the Norfolk Open, that recently happened, didn't it? Yeah, the Norfolk Open, which I've never... Have you ever done the Norfolk Open? Yeah, once, I think. How did I you enjoy- find it? Good I enjoyed it. Nice, nice venue, because it's at the University of East Anglia, I think. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it when I was there. It seems like it had a good numbers for the current climate. Yeah, looking at it, I've got the results up in front of me. There were quite a few entries, um, 30 in men's foil. There were 41 in the men's um, men's epe. Some uh, notable good finishes. Uh, Alfie Smith, I know of Northampton, he came second. Uh, Ronnie DeVitt came first. Uh, and then Ben Shepherd of Hitchin and uh, someone from Norfolk, Joseph Igali managed to uh, get a bronze which is great and who did we have in the epe for the men's well there's somebody i happen to know that does every single competition he could possibly do chap called i think his name's paul wilmot (laughs) 
So, uh, yeah, he was there. But uh, my namesake, George Partridge, entered. He didn't do too well, it doesn't look. But not too bad, 41 entries. Lionel DeSwart Danko won. Uh, Sam Luckman from OPS second. And Will Ferguson, who was also of OPS at some point. And then Stephen Domek says he's unattached, but... I'm pretty sure he, he's OPS as well. And then Eric Luger of OPS was was fifth. So a lot of uh, a lot of things, a lot of uh, a lot of OPS there. Ab- Abdul Altai from Northampton came seventh, which is very creditable. Tough competition, looks like. Um, you know Sam Luckman, don't you? I know Andy. I know his dad, and I fenced I fenced Sam, but I wouldn't really say I know Sam Luckman. Uh, yeah, I fenced Sam once or twice, and he was a really nice FAS, but he seems like he's gone up a level. Is it looking OP- at the results? He's OPS, it, yeah. Is it an OPS effect, perhaps? Uh, and he's it's it's like James Gowan, who went from again a nice fencer who is now one of the top fencers, up and coming fencers in the country. So that's again, I think OPS helped him on that route. And then in the ladies, uh, Julie Henson won from Norfolk um, with another Norfolk fencer in second place. Do you think it's really nice that they've got a local competition? that they're running and lots of Norfolk people from Norfolk Fencing Club are doing well in it. I think that's wonderful. I think that is. I think it's really important that we have competitions all over the country that give fencers a chance to compete. And talking of fencers from all over the the country, the uh, 2023 Winton Cup recently happened. Who won that? Uh, The West Midlands won that. So that's really nice for them, actually. That's really, really good. The uh, Vets Winton Cup's coming up soon as well. Before too long, I'm keen to kind of see how that all pair, that all uh, that all works out. Which region are you eligible for at the moment? So there's a combined kind of Midlands, East Midlands, West Midlands team. So I had entered. I was due to be yeah fencing on behalf of East West Midlands. Uh, however, with my leg, I've I've withdrawn. Uh, unfortunately it's a a really nice competition the Winton I think it has the potential to really build fences fencing at that level for two days solid it's a it's a team event Jason you know how I feel about team events I love love them I really do and it it brings it really brings people together I was talking to Alfie Smith the other day who'd just come off the Winton he'd had some by his in his own words brilliant results and he said it just pushed his fencing up to another level. And there we see him getting a silver at the Norfolk Open. So there must be some truth in it. Definitely, definitely. I felt really I felt really positive after I did the Winton last time. And that was kind of on the back of some substandard results, really, from my perspective. <laughs> it's, it's also broken me. The last Winton I did, I was in a team that was really good. And I was, I shouldn't have been there. I only got in the team because Paul Wilmot badgered the team captain until he he was forced to put me in the team as the fourth man. And the other three guys were all kind of university fencers, really good friends. And they spent the whole time walking around kind of trying to gently tell me that they I should probably sit this one out because they want to win the next fight. <laughs> so that was a bit demoralising, that one. But There are definitely more positive team events that stories that i've heard in the past <laughs> uh yeah that was uh that was good but anyway i learned lots watching them fence um anyway we've also had the <laughs> that's really funny 
We've also had the 2023 Wheelchair Fencing World Cup over in Warsaw recently, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, Baldip does a lot with the wheelchair guys, doesn't he? He does. I mean, uh, Piers Gillivan bought home another bucket load of medals from there, if I'm correct. Yeah, he's multiple Olympic champion in the past, I believe. Exactly, and Baldip has coached him. In fact... Um, Baldit told me he thinks he's the only coach to have three world number ones to his name. So that would be Gemma Collis, who did really well. She's I've, she's got medals as well coming up. And she's the current world number one in the women's Yeah, of course. FA. And then Dim- Dimitri Kutia, is he the yep, other one? that's it. So I remember being in Moulton and Baldit inviting... Northampton fencers or, you know, regional fencers to come and have a go at wheelchair fencing. And I, I met Dimitri and I met Piers there. Oh, brilliant. And I fen- fenced them both. And uh, yeah, they destroyed me, <laughs> obviously. So one last thing to wrap up with, potentially. The British fencing, they're looking for referees for a September uh, event that's on the 16th and 17th. It's the Cadet and Junior Nationals uh, that are being held in Nottingham. So if you do um, have a qualification and you're available, then get in touch with British Fencing. I'm sure they'd be keen to hear from you. Is that a paid refing gig? Yeah, they normally do do a remuneration for it. I'm not sure exactly how much it's going to be, but if you look into it, I'm sure that would be that would be handy. Awesome. We've got an interview with Baudet, who, as I said before, he's an international coach who has travelled all across the world and has some really great stories. So I think you'll really enjoy listening to this, Nick. Thank you. I look forward to it. And anybody out there, if you do enjoy listening to this podcast, or even if you don't enjoy listening to this podcast, but you've got to this (laughs) bit so far, then well done, firstly. And secondly, if you could share the podcast amongst your friends and amongst your colleagues and other fencers, then we would massively appreciate it. Definitely. And this is the Fencing Stories podcast. So if anybody has a story that they'd like to share with us or even come on the show and tell everybody else about, please do get in contact because we would love to hear some great fencing stories. It's what we're all about. Fencingstories at gmail.com. Brilliant, right? Let's have a listen. We sound like pros. So, Baldip, what have you been up to recently? Um, Recently, okay. So this year... Uh, 2023, uh, it's been a busy year because we've been planning for and training for the qualification to Paris 2024 Paralympics. So qualification started last year in November. Um, so literally, I kid you not, but there's a competition like every six weeks, sometimes every four weeks. So competition started last year. Um, first one was in Eger in Hungary. Um, then it was, um, I can't remember what the second one was. And then this uh, year, January, we were in Washington. February, nothing. March, we were in Pisa. April, we were in France. And then we had a training camp at the end of April. Uh, literally, I got back from the training camp on the 18th of April, and on the 19th of April, I flew off to India. Uh, so for, for the first week, we had some family things to sort out. And the second two weeks of April, we were supposed to be running a para-fencing training camp for the Indian fencers. But unfortunately, that didn't go ahead, uh, which was a bit of a uh, an issue because they didn't let me know that it was not going to go ahead. Um, Do they have a different 
sort of attitude towards training and fencing in India? Not really. I mean, they they are very very keen because this year for them is the Asia Para Games in October. So the last time, so it's a big big old story. Um, you know, first time I got involved with the Indian wheelchair fencing team was back in 2016 when I saw them in Montreal in Canada. And I thought, my God, I didn't even know Indians did para-fencing. And, uh, well, they were there, but they weren't actually fencing because they were in such dire straits with equipment and technique and so on. Do, do they have much of an infrastructure for nope. getting people well, into it? Prior, prior to 2016, no. Uh, what happened was that in, in, in Montreal, when I saw them, I said to them, right, guys, I'll tell you what, after Rio 2016, I'll come over to India and I'll, I'll coach you and help you out. So literally... Uh, in 2016, when Rio finished late October, I went to India in November. Then I went back in uh, March of the following year, 2017. And since then, I've been going there maybe once or twice a year. And then in the run-up to the 2018 Asian Para Games, which were held in uh, Jakarta, Indonesia, again, believe it or not, I was away from home for nearly three months uh, coaching them, training them, setting up infrastructure, setting up frames and things like that. Are you doing that all off your own back? Initially I was, and then I said to them, guys, I can't keep paying for myself. The flights are very expensive. Yeah. Uh, accommodation is expensive. So in the last two years or so, they've been paying for my flights or my accommodation, but all my coaching is, coaching is done voluntarily. Um, and now sometimes they ask me to be their coach at any uh, international uh, competition that they want to attend. So I go as a half British coach and half India parafencing coach, which sometimes creates a few headaches for uh, those in charge <laughs> because they keep talking about conflict of interest, whereas I don't see a conflict of interest. I think, well, have there. you ever had two fences? Yeah, yeah, meet yeah. Each other. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like Jason. It's like the same, you know. Like if if the able bods, if if you met with Harry, uh, yeah. or if Max met with Harry, or I, I wouldn't coach either of you. I'd say, right, you know. Yeah, no, I know. It's it. when I had um, Adrian at the Cambridge Winter earlier this year, and you were in the furthest corner of the room. I think for most yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always oh, been the, my the pool with Harry and Abdul. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Max and Adrian, yeah, all four I of know, them. I know, it's just like fencing out to shave, wasn't it, really? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and, and, and that's that actually has been the case uh, with most of the coaches that I've worked with, uh, regardless of what nationality yeah. they are. In that, when, when our fence coach, uh, when our students fence each other, we, we just walk away, we're going to have a cup of tea. So in Pisa, we had, I was coaching the Indian team and the British girls, and Abby was fencing uh, uh, Rekha from India. And I just went out. I just went out, had a cup of tea, you know, soaked <laughs> in a bit of sun, and then came in and I asked the result and they said this was a result. I went, oh, yeah, great, okay. Have you ever had a situation where you've been really working with an athlete and you, you want them to do well, you know, it means a lot to them, and they're coming up against another one of your athletes um, where you're sort of, I, I kind of hope they win, or do you always keep it impartial? Oh, okay. You don't have to answer. No, no, I will answer. You know, you, you, you can either take it on board or you can delete it, whatever. So way back, uh, there was a World Cup in Poland, in Warsaw. And I went there coaching the Indian team. 
And um, one of my fencers did very, very well in the pool rounds, and he got through his first DE. Um, so most of my fencers from India are getting through their first DE, but the second DE is a bit of a stumbling block. Yeah. But on this particular occasion, on the second DE, he came up against Oliver Lamb Watson from GB. Oh, yeah. Now, I would have thought, for professional courtesy, we would have just thought, okay, guys, you know, we don't want to coach each other. And I was actually told by the uh, British performance manager that I'm not allowed to coach my Indian fencer, which I thought was fine. I haven't got a problem with that. But what I did have a problem with was that the British coach was actually coaching the British fencer. And okay. I thought, well, you know, you can't have a rule for me and a rule for them. And as it was, I didn't coach my fencer. And as it was, my fencer actually went on beat Oliver. So you know, <laughs> these things happen. Um, but it'd just be nice if there was uh, the same rules for everybody. Uh, but yeah, so other, other than that, most of the time, I suppose... I do have a, 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 a slight bias into think, oh, I hope he wins. But, you know, to, to stop that happening, uh, because it's unfair for both my athletes, the only way to do it is to walk out and not even see the, the fight itself. Yeah, so you can't even sort of yeah. accidentally no. influence it. No. I mean, I think, especially in... Uh... English circuit, everybody knows each other pretty well now, yeah, so yeah, we're yeah. all quite happy. Even when you get beaten by a club mate, you're genuinely pleased that they're doing well, yeah. even if they had to knock you out most of the time. I'm not sure everybody would agree with that, but yeah, no, that's, that, that's a good attitude to have because you know you are club mates, you do train together, and you 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 want the best for everybody, uh, including yourself. And you know, you would assume and you would hope that. If you'd beaten them, then they would have that reciprocal, oh, nice one, Jason, you know, good luck for the next match type of thing, which I think in most cases I do see. Uh, and it's very, very rare that, you know, somebody gets up and storms off type of thing. Again, I think the English circuit's so small that if you don't have a good attitude, yeah. it's going to weigh you down quite quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. Uh, so, you, I mean, you've had some really big successes recently, haven't you, with Gemma yeah. Collis? Yeah, yeah. So, again, you know, coming back to this year, like I said, this was part of qualification. And uh, Gemma's always been uh, there or thereabouts, and she's consistently in this qualification period. Uh, so, let's say for the last year, she's consistently medaled, be it a bronze or a silver or a silver or a bronze. But she hasn't quite got through to the gold. And then, in Pisa, in March of this year, you know, she was like a, a completely different person. She was super focused, uh, even between pool rounds. Well, they don't do pool rounds anymore because there's been a change in the structure of... Uh, oh, really? What how, do they do instead? Well, you know, like in able bodies, if you're in the top uh, 30, you get a buy straight through to the DE. So you don't do pools. Yeah. So they introduced this formula right at the start of uh, this qualification period. And it seems to be working very well. But most of them are quite anxious about it because sometimes they use the pool matches as a warm-up to see how they are. Uh, and then not to have a pool match and go direct into, say, a last 32 or a last 64. So there's a, there's a couple of interesting points about this. One is that because the Chinese haven't been coming to any competitions, which is their norm, 
they'll only come to com competitions when it's the qualification competitions. And the two years when it's not for qualification, you never see them. And I mean, you're talking about a massive population and their wheelchair parapets and numbers are huge. And when they do send somebody, you know, they're the top of the Chinese. And nine times out of 10, they turn up, nobody knows anything about them and they win everything, yeah. right? Like in, 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 in Pisa and in Nimes, which was a month later, Men's foiled, China first, China second, China third, China fourth, China team. Yeah. Out of a possible, what is it, 12 medals, they won 11 golds. Wow. They are that dominant. So what the, the reason behind telling you that is that because they come in, they are ranked 999, right? Yeah. So the top seed will get a 999. So let's say, for example, Gemma was top seed. She'd missed the pool rounds, and then she'd come up against the Chinese that nobody's ever met, nobody knows. And like yeah. I said, normally they destroy everybody. But in Pisa, that didn't happen. She, 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 her, her first DE was against a um, uh, Polish fencer, I think, and the second one was against the Tokyo Paralympic champion Beres from Hungary, which again Gemma just blew her apart. And then uh, um, then there's another one I can't quite remember. But she got into the final and against the Chinese, who had obviously beaten everybody to get from her part of the draw. So we're thinking, okay, you know, this is going to be a tough one. Um, and we just went through our routines, you know, focus. You know, one point at a time, like you, you always say, but you never do. But you know, on that particular occasion, Gemma was so focused that she did exactly what she was supposed to do, and within twenty seconds, she was like seven two up, and we were looking at each other, thinking, "What the heck's going on here?" And before you knew it, within the first three minutes, she'd completely torn the Chinese apart and beat her something like fifteen seven. Wow! You know? And uh, it was, it was, it, it, you've seen the photographs and. Uh, uh, it was it was truly a, a moment when I when I thought you know all that hard work that she puts in, all the hard work that I put in, that that culmination of all that hard work to finally realise it and come away with a gold medal, and with that gold medal with her ranking points she got shot up to world number one. So in my history of or in my career of coaching parapensers. I've actually got three world number ones, which, yeah, that's you know, pretty top it's level pretty impressive. Stuff. And also, yeah. to be honest, Jason, I don't think there's any other coach in the country who can say that, be it of able body or of parapensers. So I think I'm in a uh, quite a, like a niche category there. So yeah, that was like tremendous, you know. Uh, it, it must be great for you to see the recognition because I mean lots of athletes work really hard and but to turn that into results yeah yeah and points that's absolutely you know, they, they get the reward that they deserve absolutely absolutely and you know the great thing about parafencing the whole circuit itself is that at the competition after Gemma had won and the, the, the medal ceremony and everything and also the day after I think Nearly 90, 95% of the international coaches came to me and said, congratulations. Nearly 90, 95% of the athletes went to Gemma and said, congratulations. 
she actually said she got tired of shaking so many hands. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a hard problem. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a difficult one to have. But you know, that, that like you said, the recognition uh, and the respect that you get from, uh, for, for me, if I get a respect from a fellow coach who I think is like one of the best coaches out there, and if they turn around to me and say, well done coach, that's a great result. I think what I'm doing is good. It gives me uh, a lot of encouragement in what I'm doing, and it gives me that motivation to continue what we're doing. It's like mm. this year also, like I said, at the end of the second World Cup uh, in France, so we had Pisa in March. Literally four weeks later, we had uh, Nîmes in France. And then after that, we had a training camp in Fréjus on the south of France. So I do visit some really, really nice places. You know, yeah. who, who would want to go to the south of France for a week's training camp? But the training camp had international fences from Japan, from Belgium, from from the UK, uh, Germany, uh, Switzerland. So you know, very international. And um, the guy who runs it is Jean de la Planque. We've been going to that camp right through since twenty ten, apart from the COVID years. And I think he's got a bit of a soft spot for me now because when I get there, again, the Georgian team was there as well. So when I get there, he gives me all these really, really top fences and he says, right, you've got to give him a lesson from here to there and then that one and that one. So I have a whole schedule of lessons to give through in the day. Uh, we start at 8 in the morning. We finish at 12.30. We start at 3. We finish at 7. We start at... Eight and we finish at nine thirty, ten o'clock. So it's a packed, packed competition, uh, training day, a week rather. But the wonderful thing about that is that I gave Japanese fences, uh, men's category A fence foilers, uh, a couple of lessons, and I gave the category A and category B Georgian ladies uh, epee and foil lessons. And the wonderful thing about it was that they, they, they. In, in some of the sequences that I'm doing, they just stopped and went, we've never done anything like this before. I said, well, you know, this, this is crazy. Why haven't we done anything like this before? And then they come back and say, can we have another lesson? And that, that statement, can I have another lesson, gives me everything I need to, to, to push myself and, and really enjoy what I'm doing because then it re- makes me realize that they enjoy what I'm doing, I enjoy what I'm doing, and to have that come back to say, can I have another lesson? I think, wow, this is great. You know they're actually getting something out of absolutely, it. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, again, you know, recently I was in Costa Rica, training camp there. <laughs> you know, like I it's said, a I, hard life. I, it's a hard life. I do go to some nice places. One of the uh, Costa Rican coaches, uh, offensive, who wanted to learn about parafencing coaching, is foilist. And uh, he was doing really well, and I and I asked him. I said, "Do you fence?" And he said, "Yeah, yeah, I'm a you know current international foilist." So I said, "Oh, okay. Um, do you want a lesson?" So just before lunch, we had a half hour slot, and I went off, and we were doing able body uh, lesson. So he, he, I was going through some techniques and stuff like that, and he was like like flicking me on the back and flicking me left, right, and center. And no matter what I do, he was just there and getting it right and i thought okay i need to up my game a little bit so i up my game a little bit and he was still hitting me and then you know in 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 men's foil what they love to do is to take a 
a big circular and flick you on the back of the shoulder type of thing. So he was doing that, and I took a very high, like a saber, high tierce parry um, to, to block him out. And every time he did it, I blocked him out. He couldn't find a way through. And I said to him, stop. I said, you know I'm parrying there. Why don't you do something about it when you see me going up there? He said, I don't know what to do. So so said to him, well, what you should do is try a high elbow preem underneath flick. And he went, well, how do you do that? So I taught him that. And every time we did it, every time he hit me correctly, he would just stop and start laughing because he was <laughs> loving it so much. And I said, all right, now do it against the left hand and see how effective it is. So I changed hands because luckily I can coach left and right. So I changed hands and working with him at pretty decent pace, you know. And he was really attacking me and I was parrying and trying to hit him back. And uh, every time he did it, he would again stop, burst out laughing and carry on. Only turns out that he's ranked number two in Costa Rica (laughs) (laughs) and it's a big fencing nation so I did have somebody quite high up to coach so yeah yeah it's a busy busy year this year Um, I I don't know how you find time to fit it all in because you also you've got your club Touche which is based in Toaster near Milton Keynes you coach at Milton Keynes Fencing Club yeah yeah and we've got Um, a junior section at Milton Keynes now yeah you've got a large junior club there yeah. you've got quite a few private uh, students yeah. as well yeah yeah it, it, i mean i teach guitar i know how exhausting it is yeah having to give your time to people let alone something that's physical as well on top of that how do you balance it all um well luckily i'm retired uh and luckily i love sport so i i i do try and keep fit um, I mean, in January and February, I, I joined a gym and I started to go and I was going two, three times a week. Um, but then when the competitions came up and the training came up all and goes the international the trips came up, it all went out the window again. I'm thinking, I need to get back fitter. I was like, today, you know, when, when you're coaching Gemma, I've got to work my socks off because she is so fast that if I slow down, then her actions will slow down, which will mean that when she gets to fence at the international level, you're training her at the wrong tempo. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I got back home and I was huffing and puffing. My t-shirt was soaked, especially in this heat. You know, so yeah, it's 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 it's. I think because I enjoy it so much, that the aches and pains just seem to, you know, I wake up every morning and I'm stiff as a board. Uh, and I just have to keep saying to myself, I need to get trained. I need to get fitter. What I sort need... of stuff do you do to kind of condition yourself for fencing or um, coaching? I, I used to do a lot of cycling and I used to do a lot of, um, uh, I mean, when I go to the gym, I, I normally have a good 20 minute, half an hour, full on cycle interval training. And then I would do, I don't do heavy weights, but I would do weights as toning. Mm. I would spend a good hour doing that. And then I would stretch for a good 20 minutes or so. So my routine is about two hours in the gym when I go. Um, but here at home, because I don't get that time, what I'm starting to do every morning is um, I have a, a routine of uh, stretches and yoga positions that I do. So, again, I, I try and do them every morning. I'd be lying if I said did, that I did them every morning. Uh, sometimes I just think, oh, God, I can't do this. Um, and again, I, I, I have a, a, a physio appointment every month 
and then I have an osteo appointment every month. So after my osteo appointment, I have a two-week break when my physio is, and then I have a two-week break when my osteo is, and then the two-week break when my physio is. So between those two, they keep me functioning, they keep me mobile, and between whatever gym work or exercises I can do at home. Yeah, because you've picked up a couple of injuries through coaching, haven't yeah. you? Yeah, unfortunately, my neck is in a severe state because, as you know, uh, fencing itself is a lopsided sport. Mm. Uh, if you're left-handed, you know, you're predominantly everything left-handed. If you're right-handed, you're predominantly everything right-handed. But the bigger problem in a wheelchair is that you're sitting in a chair. You can imagine if you sit in a chair with your back towards the back of the chair, and you're cranking your neck to the right. Your neck is at a good 90 degrees, so you're looking over your right shoulder all the time, and you're coaching like that for anything up to an hour to four hours. You know, that neck, oh, man, it's just... And then, unfortunately, I had MRI scans, and I got diagnosed with um, my vertebrae between C4 and C7 are disintegrating. So Mm. my neck... And my head, the head being the heaviest object of your body, is actually compressing my neck and pinching my nerves, which gives me some awful sensations. Um, so, yeah, so sometimes I, I just have to coach left-handed because my neck is so severe. Just to try and balance it out. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard to train your neck. I mean, you can do mobility for it yeah. and you can strengthen it. Yeah. I know sort of um, jiu-jitsu players... They, they use these things where they sort of strap their heads to yep. something and then they're sort of using resistant bands yep. and yep. that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I do a similar sort of thing in that I have a, I think it's now an eight kilogram weight, you know, like the uh, leg weights you have or the wrist weights you have, those soft, oh, yeah, soft yeah. bean bags, but they're quite heavy. So <laughs> believe it or not, I lie on the edge of my bed and I put this eight kilogram weight on my head <laughs> and I do all four axes and I do 15 repetitions of each side. So that has been helping a lot, and uh, <laughs> things you, do. you should you should film that and do a video <laughs> instructional for us all. That would be great. No. <laughs> <laughs> and on top of that, uh, I've got myself an inversion table. Um, so I don't know if you've ever tried that, but it's really no. really good. So you, you 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 strap your feet in, and then you tilt yourself upside down. I mean, you can go horizontally upside down but I think at the moment I'm about probably about 80 75 80 degrees upside down right and because again your head's the heaviest part of your body your head is pulled by gravity so which pulls your spine and honestly when you're lying there you can just feel yourself growing everything just, just everything just gets stretched but the worst of it is when you come back up <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> think, oh no it's still there <laughs> I do a lot of hanging, just ah, yeah, 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 just hanging from a bar yeah, because yeah. Uh, my back has always been bad from either playing guitar or just manual work and fencing. So yeah. I just try and hang for sort of a couple of minutes every day, and it, again, you just feel everything yeah. go back to where it should be. Okay, in that in that case, if you're ever around Milton Keynes, come out or come to my house, try this immersion <laughs> table. I kid you not, you will not believe yeah. how good it is. Uh, I'm definitely going to try that. Yeah. It sounds fun. Yeah. So it's all good. All good. Um, so where were we? Yeah, in terms of this year, 
Um, so we're coming up to Warsaw, which we go from the 4th to the 10th of July. Then I've got a bit of a break. Um, the next competition is South Korea in mm. September. Um, but I'm not going to that one because, um, well, one is too expensive. The girls are not funded fully. They get some funding, but not fully funded. So if I travel, they have to pay my airfare and my accommodation and so on. Again, right. I don't charge them expenses for my daily rate or anything like that. Do you find it, there's a gap between the fences you train and their funding versus their opponents from other countries? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Most of the European fences are fully funded. Uh, most of the Far Eastern countries like Korea, Malaysia, Hong Kong, China are fully funded. Uh, oh. Some of the American... Some of the Americans are fully funded. Most, some of the Brazilians are fully funded. So we are definitely in a position where it's relying on the bank of mum and dad and relying on the bank of friends. Do you think that has had an impact in the sport in this country? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, again, you know, if you come back to 2012, when we first got involved with all this parent fencing, um, the athletes were not funded. Uh, in the run-up to London, because it was a home Paralympics, we were funded, so we were getting a lot of training camps. Uh, we were actually getting paid for what we were doing, which was great. Yeah. Had that continued, I'd been a happy man. But unfortunately, we didn't win any medals at uh, yeah, but, London. Uh, it's a real short-sightedness. Yeah, but this, this is what happened. This is how you know the UK sport works. Um, so post London 2012, I started coaching Piers, uh, Piers Gilliver and Dimitri Kucha. And uh, so again, from 2012 right up to 2014, for a good two years, it was relying on the bank of mum and dad. And then towards the end of 2014, early 2015, Piers won three gold medals in a row, uh, literally in a row. Uh, one was in Eger, the other one was in Pisa, and the third one was in Hong Kong. So we went to UK Sport and said, look, guys, you know, we've won three gold medals. Rio is coming up in less than 18 months. Can we have some money? And uh, they gave us uh, uh, well, they gave us a quarter of a million pounds, which sounds like a lot of money. It is a lot of money, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not a lot of money. And then what happened was that early 2017, Dimitri started winning gold medals and again I remember his first gold medal which was again in Montreal uh, his final was against Hu Daling China um, I think the score was 14 all uh, epee and on the last hit Dimitri just did a beautiful counter attack 15-14 a win a gold medal Perfect. and then he won another gold medal and then we went back to UK Sports and said look Dimitri's winning so they gave us another 60000 for that as well, I think. I can't remember the exact figures. But we had some money to run us through to Rio. And uh, that helped a lot because then we had fully funded athletes who didn't have to worry about how they were going to pay for the training, how they were going to pay for sports psychology, sports nutrition, SNC, accommodation, everything. I mean, say the next competition to Warsaw, it's probably costing the athletes in the region of about £1,500 to go to a competition. And yeah, that's not into taking account of 
all the training that they've had to do prior to that mm. and the pain for the training as well. It's, it's, it puts a lot of pressure on the athlete themselves to know that whether it's, you know, oh, their yeah. family's paying the money, oh, yeah. you're yeah. putting your time and money involved. Yeah, yeah. You've got to perform or you feel you're letting people down. But this is the thing, you know, this is what... Uh, I mean, any athlete will put in 100% to, 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 to try and get a result. Um, but I think... I mean, even in the able body, when you win the gold medal, it's not really a lot of funding from the government towards that. Yeah. You get a little bit of recognition, and then if you're lucky, you get put onto a, like a, a performance pathway. Um, and it's the same problem, uh, not only in fencing, but in other sports. But I think after 2016, UK sport did change its tactic and said, right, we will now start funding for a eight-year cycle rather than a four-year cycle and then they started to think about the fact that if you give people money to set up a good training regime then you'll get the medals instead of well get the medals first and then we'll give you money so it's a, we had the chicken and egg yeah but now it's actually right you know we'll give you the money and then again there are you know what they call it caveats in that if you don't perform and if you don't hit your targets that funding is going to get cut it must uh, change the attitude of offense though because it, you're going to work hard if you know people are putting their yeah. time and money on the line you yeah. work hard if it's just an endless pot coming from yeah. the government yeah. perhaps you take it all for granted yeah yeah so maybe it's... maybe that's why they do it maybe that's why they set those limits to say you know, if you don't reach your targets, there is a possibility you lose the money. I mean, uh, originally, I think when you didn't reach your targets, your your funding was cut substantially. Now, I think they give you a chance. I think, I don't know how many chances, but they'll say, okay, we'll wait on the next one. So, yeah, you're, you're coming back to your original question in that, you know, are, are the your other international fences funded? Well, they are. They train more or less full-time. My fences train with me once every two weekends and they come down on a Friday they have to pay for their own uh, hotel accommodation uh, they train on a Friday Saturday Sunday so in a weekend they might get what eight ten hours training as opposed to foreign athletes who probably get training eight hours a day Chinese are definitely eight hours a day plus so you know, when you look at it, those terms, what we're doing and the athletes, the results that they're producing, they are doing yeah. pretty well. I, mean, I, I always say to my athletes, I say, I wonder how, how, how much of a difference our results would be if we could train full-time day in, day out. I'd love to be in a scenario yeah, where you could just when, see. I could, when I could actually you know, put that into practice and see if, if, if the daily training i mean not only parapenses but also able body fences i'd love to be in a position to be able to do that yeah. what makes a good fencing student in your opinion what do you look for in a prospective uh, fencer i right. think that's yeah, what i want yeah that's a really good question somebody else asked me um actually it was in rio i'm sorry not in rio costa rica they said how much of a difference does a coach make to the fencer in my experience, I think there's something about the fencer. In, in nearly all the fencers that I've coached, there's something about the fencer that 
you just think, bloody hell, this is something else, you know. Mm. I don't know what it is. I can never put a finger on it. Um, be it they're, you know, they don't have to be super strong. They don't have to be really athletic. You know, that comes later on. I mean, like, when when, when they first come into fencing and they're developing as a fencer, I don't know what it is. It's, it's There seems to be something, like, with our juniors now, there are two, once a girl, once a boy, and there's something about them that makes me think, if you carry on, you're going to be really good. I can't put my finger to it. And I think, as a coach, I think my input, uh, or, or any coach, I don't know, but my personal opinion is that my input to make them reach the goals that they want to reach, it's only really about 25, 35%. You know? It's mostly it, then. It's, uh, and it's I always feel with uh, my guitar students, it's you're sort of chipping away at the stone to uncover something below that's already there. Mm. And that's you're just helping them do that. Yeah, yeah. But you know, Jason, like you said, if they haven't got it there, no matter how much chipping you do, you'll never make a musician out of them or a guitarist. Yeah, you, you can't. They, they do all the work. Yeah. They do the practice. Yeah. You can only sort of push it and try and yeah. speed up the process. Yeah. But yeah. you kind of know pretty quickly who's going to get good and who's yeah. going to spend time yeah. Yeah. My, in the wallowing around. My observations, absolutely, yeah. Um, so, yeah. You know, in, 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 I mean, I've been coaching now. I mean, Touche Fencing's been running 23 years. And I think I was coaching uh, well before that, back at university days. And then when we came to Milton Keynes, I've been coaching a good, what, 40 years now, maybe? Something like that. And even during all that time, I mean, we've had um, foilists at Touche who've represented GB. We've had epists who've represented GB. So... And then obviously the parafencing have just been a completely different kettle of fish and, and the results have been incredible. So for a small club in you know outside of London, I'd like to think that what we're doing is is, is, is significant and uh, we're making a difference to to both the athletes and also to you know the, the, the gold uh, medal and the medal tally that uh, uh, Britain uh, uh, GB is winning internationally. Uh, Tusha's always had a really hard working ethic. You know, you, you push people and the fencers who are there want to be better. Yeah. They're not they're not just there to have fun. Yeah. That's yeah. a byproduct, but they, they want to be better and they're they're pushing each other. It's always had that atmosphere, which is great. Yeah, that's it's, good to know. Like that's a... good to know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I, it... I I always feel that like even if I do a training day, training weekend or whatever, or even the the Wednesday night, I think if people come away with thinking, oh, that was really fun and I learned something, for me, that order is important. I want people to have fun first. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and then my feeling is that if they have fun, then they'll get something out of it. But if they find it a chore and a struggle, then they're never going to learn. But yeah. It's, 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 Getting I, in that right mindset. Yeah. Yeah. And again, you know, as you do that, you know, when I run the training camp uh, weekends and stuff like that, I mean, the photographs that you've seen, everybody's got a smile on their face. Everybody's really enjoying it. And to, and to me, that, that gives me the biggest buzz ever, just to see those smiles, just to see that 
like again, you know, uh, coming back to Costa Rica, um, we, we, I've, I've had some unofficial feedbacks, and again, all of them have been terrific. Everybody sort of like sent their photos through to me. Everybody's smiling. Everybody wants a picture with me, uh, and the the feedback is like, you know, such a great. Um, uh, I've learned a lot. Really enjoyed myself. Thank you for coming out. So. Yeah, it's 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 great. I love it. <laughs> Do you have any preference on weapons that you coach? Is there different approaches you use for the different weapons? Um, I'm a fireless to start with. I mean, I first started fencing when I was about eight years old, I think, maybe a little bit nine years old. I was always one of those people that uh, could never play football, rugby, tennis, you know, anything to do with the ball. I can't play. Uh, so I was always <laughs> like, you know pick the football team, I'd be the last one. So at school, we were in the, uh, I, uh, you know, I grew up in the East End of London. We had comprehensive schools there at that time. And again, when I was at school in those years, remember I'm a little bit older than you guys, uh, the the political environment and let's say the racism in those times was completely different to what it is now. And being a uh, an Indian in the East End of London at that, that time was a, uh, it was a tough business, you know, you had to be, school was tough, it was hard, uh, bullying, everything, it was a, and I think back on that time, I think, wow, I'm so glad things have changed, <laughs> but being in a comprehensive school in the East End of London, and at that time, fencing was really the remit of uh, private public schools, mm. and we had it at that school, and I thought, wow, my two brothers, who were also at the school, were one was a year older than the other one, two years older than me. They started it. And I obviously, like I said, couldn't play ball sports. So I thought, oh, let me try fencing. And I, I just took a knack to it. So I, I was a foilist um, for many, many years. Um, myself and my brother, um, we were the first Indians ever to fence for GB. We got selected oh, to wow. fence for the GB under 10, 20 squad. And we went to Austria, Germany, uh, various other countries like that, fencing. And then from that, I went off to university. At university, most students were beginners, intermediates. So I took up coaching. And thereafter, it was really coaching that took precedence rather than me fencing as a competitor. But for some reason, as things develop and as the club developed, um, I mean, don't get me wrong, we had some success as uh, some of my uh, foil students, but I was saying the last 10 or 12 years, the success has been through EPE. And I think that's probably due to the fact that there's been such a lot of change in the way foil has been presided. And I mean, a while back, it was like, it was really not foil at all. You know, how can you give an attack when somebody's got their point behind their back and then hitting them when the other person's already hit, you know. So that put me off foil a lot, uh, put me off foil coaching. And like I said, EPE seemed to develop. And the more I did the EPE, the more it developed, the more successes we had with our students. And, uh, yeah, it just sort of like picked up from there. And now I thoroughly enjoy EPE. Uh, I'd still do foil. But I think I'd like to say that my foil coaching will only be to an intermediate level. I don't think I can coach somebody to a, a national level or an international level. 
because I just don't have the the current knowledge of right away in foil. Yeah, uh, foil feels like it's a much more evolving. Yeah, sport. yeah, and it's changing you, you again. You know, the, the 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 refereeing in that is changing again. Mm. But for the better, because it's going back to the old school of you have to threaten your target to gain priority, which is good. Um, but yeah, there, there's, apparently there's another coach who's very successful at Epe, and he's a foilist as well. So <laughs> maybe the uh, foil background does as good, I don't know. Um, maybe every good Epeist needs to have some foil in them too. <laughs> that's, that's my problem. Uh, not sure about that, but that's an interesting thought. Let's let's work on that one. We'll get some emails about that. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, you've you've given us some great stories already, but do you have I mean, this is the fencing stories podcast. Do you have any standout stories you'd like to share? Uh. But on fencing or anything else as well? <laughs> well, I'm easy, but I guess it should be fencing. <laughs> it should be fencing. Yeah. Well, uh, but the, the thing is, Jason, I mean, there, there's been a lot, you know. Don't forget, I've been yeah. doing this a long, long time. And yeah. I think standout stories, I think, would have to be the three that have recently, or the, the, the three. So working backwards, so the most recent was obviously Gemma at Pisa and uh, the world number one there. You know, what a thrill. And then let's go back to 2014 when um, when we first got funding from, or well, no, we were first offered funding from UK Sport. We went to a World Cup in Budapest and UK Sport said to us, you have to get a, a last eight. And this was me when I was coaching Piers. So we got there, and uh, Piers had uh, uh, a Polish fence, no, Russian fencer called Pender. Oh, no, he's Polish, he's Polish, yeah, Pender. And uh, Piers beat him, so in the last eight. And uh, uh, um, I went mad, you know. <laughs> but, you know, there wasn't time to celebrate because there was a next match, and then Piers went on to fence the next match. And he lost that one. So Piers was distraught. You know? and, but, you know, I, I was really happy and excited. And I went over to sort of like congratulate Piers. And, you know, Piers was not in the right frame of mind to be talking to me. So he said, no, not then. So basically I thought, oh, shit, I'd better leave him alone. Let much take him some time out. But that was a significant moment because it was the first time ever that we'd reached a target set by UK Sport. And from there on, we then got the funding through to Rio. And then the, going way back, used to be, I used to be the head coach at uh, East Midlands Cadet Squad. And at that time, as a cadet, there's a fencer called Owen Jordan. I think I started coaching Owen when he was about 14, 12, probably 12 or 13, something like that. Went to a lot of... Leon Paul Jr. series with him, and he was definitely one of those, you know he's a good fencer, he just shone something about him, he's amazing. And then we, 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 we were working very hard, you know, we were training two or three times a week at the cadet squad, he was coming down here, having lessons, he was coming to Touche on a Wednesday night, having lessons. And then we uh, entered the British Senior Nationals, Senior Nationals, right, he's a cadet. 16 years of age, Oof. right? 
he only goes and uh, gets to the final, right? <laughs> final of the British men's senior. At 16. At 16. And I don't, I don't know whether it was the second period or whatever, but he was against um, a senior fencer, so, you know, well into his mid-late 20s. Type yeah. Of thing. Peak performance. Yeah, yeah. And you know what the score was? The score was 14 all. Of course it was, of course. (laughs) And uh, I thought, there's no way I can look. And uh, oh my God, I just turned away. The final hit came, there was lots of noise and everything. And I turned around, and uh, uh, unfortunately, Owen hadn't won it. Um, (laughs) The other guy, I can't remember his name now. Yeah, he won it, you know, and uh, I said to him, what, 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 what were you doing? He said, well, I went for a foot hit. He hadn't got <laughs> a foot hit all competition because they were not working. And I said to him, look, stop doing that. Right? Just go for top. Don't go for so why would you, at 14 or go for a foot? So that was a really, really memorable occasion. But you know what? At the age of 16, to get a silver medal at the British Nationals is... You can't complain you about can't that, complain can you? You can't complain about that, no, no. And again, he's gone on to some really, really good uh, competitions, good results. He he left uh, because he was working away. Um, so, yeah, so so fencing-wise, those, those three moments really stick out and they've been really, really good fun. And I think to, 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 to top everything, I think it's just the way... I mean, even like now, you know, I, I haven't seen Owen for months, probably about a year, maybe. And I know that next time I see him, be it at a competition or whatever, mm. I'll get a big hug from him. Uh, and this is the thing, the, 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 the friendship and camaraderie that we, we've built up between all the people that I know, uh, that's really so much more important to me than the results. I mean, I've got a picture on my wall. You remember uh, um, Ed, Ed Don? Yeah. Again, he started with me when he was about uh, 13, went on to some really successful competitions, fenced GB internationally. But I've got a picture of him that somebody took at the Cambridge Winter, um, first competition of the year. And I'm sitting down having just a rest, and he's come and sat next to me. And he's just put his head on my shoulder and somebody, um, yeah, I've seen that. You've picture. seen that. What a picture! You know, <laughs> I mean that. You know, that just says it all. I think now. You know There's some coaches, yourself included, who just can't cross a fencing hall without five, six, yeah. ten fences coming up to them, stopping them. How's it going? Shaking yeah. hands, hugging. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the mark of a great coach. Yeah. Thank you very much. I, I think this this is what drives me, and that really makes me motivated and continue to do what I want to, to do this. Yeah, it's terrific. Love yes. it bits. Wonderful. I mean, I, I think you could probably keep us going with stories. Absolutely. <laughs> all week. But uh, we'll have to have you back so you can keep us updated on what's going. I mean, what's next on your itinerary and plans? Um, again, next on the itinerary is th- this week. Uh, I've got a Canadian, fen- Canadian fencer coming down. They're arriving tomorrow. So she's training with Justine. Uh, Abby and Gemma. Uh, then we've got Warsaw coming up. Uh, then we've got a bit of a break, and I'm planning a uh, para training week in August, September. Um, 
Um, September is, like I said, uh, South Korea, but I'm not going to go. October is World Championships in Italy in the first week. And then the Asia Para Games are in the second and third, no, the third and fourth week of October. Again, I'm in a dilemma whether I'm going to take the Indians to that or not. And then uh, in November, this is a nice one. In November, I've been asked to come out to Mauritius to yeah. do a training camp with them. Uh, you know, these places I have to go uh, to. If you need anyone to carry any bags, <laughs> I'm, I'm up for that. <laughs> but this time on the back of that, um, I'm, I'm, I've said to my wife to come out. And my, my wife, my <laughs> sister and her daughter are coming out. And we're going to have a two-week vacation out there. So, yeah, yeah, that's... That's, and then December, there's Thailand. Whether I go to Thailand or not at the moment is undecided. So there's a lot going on. Well, look, if we continue down, we'll definitely get you back for some updates yep. and some more stories. That'd be great. Um, your dedication to the sport, your influence on it is already clear. And I think it's uh, great, to be in chat, great to be able to chat about that. Where can people get hold of you? You coach at Touche. Yeah. On a thir- uh, Wednesday night? Yep. Uh, coaching at Touche Fencing Club on a Wednesday night at Toaster Leisure Centre. Uh, Milton Keynes at Oak Grove School. Um, on Thursday, the juniors are from 6 till 7.30, and then I stay behind and I help out with the adults between 7.30 and 9.30. We have a, a Facebook page, uh, so just type in Touche Fencing. Instagram is touchefencing.club. So various social media um, and we have a web page again, all the W's to shapefencing.club. Uh, get in touch with us from that. You know, come down and talk to us, come down and have a chat, come down and see what we do. Uh, be it able body or para fencing, but if it's para fencing, I've got to tell you now that I'm retiring from para fencing come 2024 post Paris um, because I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not surprised. And I've been doing this since 2010, so I think time to let the younger people take control of that. Uh, but I'll still keep coaching everybody, so yeah. yeah. So if you want to get in touch, use any social media, and I'm sure you'll, even if you just Google me, you'll find me from that. Excellent, and maybe even some pictures of you hanging off the bed. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Awesome about it. Thanks a lot for that, and uh, good luck with everything, and hopefully speak to you soon. Yeah, cool. Thanks, Jason, and uh, hopefully see you soon as well.